0: Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and it's a great pleasure to introduce you again to our dynamic duo here at Exponential Wisdom, and this is my technology scout for the world. So anything I want to know, Peter brings back accurate news. So we're going to talk today in Exponential Wisdom, Peter, about having an extra 30 healthy years. This is possible. You know, I mean, we're the first generation on the planet in the history of humanity that can actually have a practical discussion about this possibility.
1: Yeah, it's true. And you and I, when we first met, I think we bonded on this common point of view. you, know, you very famously setting a life expectancy of 156 and me just trying to outdo you when I was in medical school setting my life expectancy at 700, which is a ridiculous number because once you can get to Either of these numbers, science has progressed so much that you can probably get to an indefinite lifespan. You can probably do
0: a renewal. There's probably a re-upping you can do at a certain point.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting to think about and you know, I'm working on a hundred million dollar age reversal X prize. I've got a book coming out with Tony called Life Force that looks at all of these technologies. And of course, it's the main area that I'm starting companies and investing in. And mm-hmm. I am absolutely convinced that we're entering a period of time. That we are going to renegotiate what we consider the healthy span, right? Not living and drooling in a wheelchair, but, you know, can 100 become the new 50 or 60 where you've got the aesthetics, the cognition, the mobility, and feel great and you're at the top of your game when you're 100, 110, and, and so forth?
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things, Peter, this is your 60th birthday. You're coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Are you noticing the separation now, like I'm 77 the day before you're 60, so we're... (laughs) Yeah,
1: May 19 and May 20 for those counting. May
0: 20th. And I started noticing in my 60s that there was this separation of people in the majority who thought that at 60, 65, they were getting near the end now. And it was time to, you know, just throttle back and, you know, just try to have the best extra decade or two decades that they could have. And I found myself just going down a different path. And I said, oh, no, no. And I said, I'm not even at halftime. Yeah. I'm not even at halftime right now. You know, and I've been working on the 156 idea since 1987, so that's 34 years. And I can't think of any other number. The moment I think of my lifetime, I think of 156. And one of the things that I've noticed because I have that mindset that planning for what I'm going to do at 100 is like some people planning what they're going to do five years from now. My sense is that it has to start with your mindset about longevity before you'll develop any of the behavior that would be supportive of living healthily for a much longer time. Yeah, I agree. Your mindset's
1: the most important element you have. I became enamored in helping my A360 members choose their mindsets and create the overwhelming evidence to support that mindset. And longevity mindset is definitely one. If you think, you know, you can will yourself to death. There's so many people who lose their spouse and, you know, they die days, weeks, months later. And as we've talked about before, if you Google the correlation between retirement and death in men, it's like five years after retirement. It's like you've given up the ghost, like I have little utility left on the planet. So I think mindset is really important because if you think you're going to live that long, you take care of yourself from a diet, from an exercise, from a sleep, from a mindset standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the interesting questions, Dan, that you and I have talked about, we should bring to the conversation is, what do you do with 30 extra years? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think about, you know, not retiring at 60 or 70 or 80, but, you know, saying, um, you know, I'm going to have an extra, at least of 30 years. And by the way, science does not stand still during that 30 years. Mm-hmm. We have extraordinary technologies in new CRISPR and gene editing and gene therapy technologies and understanding why we age and that aging is a disease and a disease that can be cured. So what
0: do you do with 30 extra years? It's a fascinating conversation. Well, the other thing is who do you hang out with for 30 years too? I mean, who do you surround yourself with? Like I have a very positive environment in terms of I'm now approaching about 40 strategic coach clients who've been with me for 30 years now. And they all have the longevity mindset. You know, if you're the only one you can talk to about a goal, you know, you're having to use an enormous amount of energy just to maintain your own goal. But if you're surrounded by a community who all believes in this, then you can just free up your attention for breakthroughs. You know, you're seeing breakthroughs, you're seeing the latest events, but a lot of our clients are you know, involved in a medical longevity of some sort. You know, they're doing much better with their testing, staying on top of their testing, much more full body testing, much more complete system testing. And I would say that's largely out of my influence, that I'm the influential person in their life that said, why are you hanging out with people who are talking themselves into the grave? Yeah if you want to become skinny, hang out with skinny people. If you (laughs) you want to be
1: in great shape, hang out with people that work out. And if you want to maintain a longevity mindset, hang out with those individuals. And it's true. I mean, I know that a lot of the work that I'm doing with my abundance community and with the coach community, like yourself, is in the longevity mindset, bringing the evidence to the table, like irrefutable evidence, like look at what was just done, right? The cover of Nature magazine in 2020 was by David Sinclair, an age reversal. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. Yeah. 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 Let me throw it out. When I think about, you know, what are the implications of an extra 30 years? Two implications that come to mind for the entrepreneur, you're at the top of your game and you're just getting going a lot of folks in their fifties and sixties and seventies. And now you've got wealth and relationships and wisdom to kick in. And every year, especially in the abundance mindset, there's more and more opportunity.
0: Now, here's a killer. And that is when you look at your peers that you would count as friends, they're all your age. That's a killer. Yeah. So the vast majority of people that I interact with every day, both from a team standpoint and a friendship standpoint, are quite a bit younger than I am. You know, I'm 77, but I don't know anybody in their 70s or older. My conversations, I mean, I have a collaboration with Ben Hardy and Tucker Max, and Ben is in his mid-30s and Tucker's in his early 40s. So I'm three and a half decades older. But I said, you know, I'm just as ambitious as you are. And quite frankly, I said, you know, I probably work out more than, you know, either of you. And one of the things, you know, as we've mentioned before, I said, if you keep muscle up and you have tremendous lung capacity, it doesn't solve any problems, but it sure avoids a lot of problems.
1: No, it's true. One of the biggest killers as we age is falling and breaking a hip or breaking a pelvis that lands in the hospital and yep. the hospital is the worst place to be. So having muscle mass and great coordination is an important part of that equation. Yeah. Another implication of not retiring is having purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And I think having clear, especially for an entrepreneur, a massively transformative purpose wakes you up in the morning, keeps you going, gets you excited for the day you're going to spend. And that sort of supports everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see you, Dan, in the work that you're doing and the books that you're writing quarterly and in the Dan Sullivan coach economic ecosystem that you want to create. It's amazing.
0: Well, one of the big things, and I just did a redo of one of my early books. I did a new voice track this morning. It's on the four Cs. And I said, you know, the four Cs are people say I'll do something if I have the capability and the confidence. And I said, well, that's not where things start. Things start with a commitment that for a period of time requires courage before you actually have the capability and confidence. And I said, so my future requires just as much if not more courage than it took me to get to 77. And I said, the one thing that people try to get out of their life is the need for courage. And I said, the moment you're not setting goals that require courage in the first instance, you're sending an email to the universe that it's time for a body pickup. You know, They can come and pick (laughs) up your body. But you're in the same boat. You're taking risks bigger at age 60 than you took at age 50.
1: Yeah, for sure. And my ability to take those risks are even greater, right? Because the people I know or the things I've done, it's extraordinary. We just launched a $100 million Prize with Elon Musk. I was with him last week. And I mean, talk about someone who takes extraordinary risks oh, over yeah. and over again. It's Mm -hmm. off the charts and maybe on our next session, we can talk about that, but it's amazing. I think another implication of 30 years of additional life is going to be incredibly valuable to governments because if all of a sudden you're not retiring at 60 or 65, if you're a productive member of the economy Mm -hmm. and paying taxes and earning revenues and increasing your income, that would transform the entire global economy.
0: Well, I think it would. And one thing that it's going to happen in the next five or 10 years, but we're going to reach peak population on the planet, you're going to see a a drop in population. It has to do with the world actually getting wealthier, that as countries become more affluent, which they all have, I mean, there are some real disaster zones, but they're explainable about in one-time disasters or something. But the vast majority of the societies on the planet have become more affluent and as they become more affluent they don't have as many children because for poor countries the only social security system that you have is having a big family that takes care of you when you get older once people can have savings once people can have good health that lasts a lot longer they don't have as many children so i think that. We're probably within this period of time in the foreseeable future, we're reaching peak population on the planet. You know, whatever it is, eight and a half, maybe it's nine billion. That's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. It is. Most people don't
1: know that. Most people think we're going to this massive runaway population, but you're absolutely right. Our biggest problem 20, 30 years from now is underpopulation. Yes. It's very not much overpopulation.
0: So. Yeah. I think China, this is the first year that they've actually given out their own figures that uh, the population went down for the first time, you know, since the Second World War. I mean, they went through a, there was just a lot of killing and death during the Second World War. But since the Second World War, they've grown in population. But it's a function of wealth. It's a function of productivity. You know, a lot of people say, well, what's the answer to this? And I said, make people so that they're not desperate and the other thing, they had big infant mortality. You had 10 kids because five of them were going to die before 10, yep. and that's not happening anymore.
1: Yeah. You would have you know, a kid that you would send to school, a kid that worked the fields, you'd expect two kids would die and one kid would stay home and take care of you. The average number of children per family was on the order of like 5.7, and now it's down to like 2.4 globally. In the U.S., we're below the replacement numbers, yeah. and it's an
0: issue for sure. Yeah. Well, when I went to school, you know, which started in 1950, you know, I'm one of seven, you know, in my family, children, I'm one of seven, but we were not by far the biggest family. There were eights, nines, tens. Yeah. You just don't see that anymore. You know, U.S. isn't even at replacement right now, but the U.S. is one of those countries that can turn the immigration faucet on and turn it off. So they can always build population through immigration. But I think that, you know, the accumulated set of data that you've been putting together for 10 years, uh, what the world was like 100 years ago and what the world's like right now, just on every indicator that you can take a look at, the world is just incredibly better off right now than it was 100 years ago.
1: It is across almost every single part. And we forget this. We romanticize the past And we forget what it was like living in the past where life was short and brutish and just, it was survival. You would work 80 hours a week to
0: survive. The only thing that I think is worse than 100 years ago, there's far, far more imaginary dangers today than there was 100 years ago. 100 years ago, you had real dangers. Now they have imaginary dangers. It's that Back part of the brain that needs to be fed. So, if you don't have actual physical dangers, you create up all sorts of dangers right now. Yeah. You know, this is the most peaceful. This is the most cooperative. This is the most congenial planet that's ever existed in human terms. It is. So, you know, I think about the notion of increasing access
1: to resources, right? It's not necessarily increasing wealth, but what you can do with the dollar is extraordinary. You know, an autonomous electric car is four times cheaper than owning a car. You know, medicine and health and education is going to become effectively free because of the use of AI. And so our standards of living are increasing. And so the question ultimately comes, what do you do with the extra 30 years? I think a lot of people are going to, especially an entrepreneur, instead of looking at how do I retire, again, that four-letter word, You know, what am I going to do next? What do I start next? Mm. What are my next companies? Yeah. You know, what additional degrees do I want to
0: get? Or where do I want to travel in the world? Yeah. I have contact with a lot of financial advisors and all the major insurance companies in the United States, uh, I think it was around 2010, they shifted their premium paying period. And this is the ages in which you can pay premiums into a life insurance policy They all, without any fanfare at all, all switched them from 95 years being the last year that you could pay a premium to 120 years. Interesting. They just jumped it up by 25 years. So I was asking the insurance agents, I said, this was obviously discussed with you because you're one of the salespeople. (laughs) So what was the thinking there? And they said that they're calculating on what the prospects are for a child born today where, you know, up until then, maybe 95 was a terrific age. They're now thinking that there are children being born today that will reach 120. Okay, well, that's a major thing. You know, insurance companies are not notable for their risk-taking capability. They're picking up on a lot of social data, political data, economic data. But it's not just one company that's doing it. They did it almost like a unified movement. And the other thing is that there's, you know, I don't know what the number is, 80,000, 90,000 Americans who are over the age of 100. So the possibility that you know somebody who is, you know, going to live into their hundreds, that's becoming more of a common experience for people. Shannon Waller, who's a longtime team member, and her sister, Julia Waller, and their mother, have worked at Coach. They've got a combined total of 78 years at Coach, the three of them. Their grandmother, who died a year ago, she was 105. And Julia had a baby who was 101 years younger Different. than wow. the grandmother. But the thing is that we don't do things unless it becomes normal. Yep. And I think that thinking about living beyond 100 is becoming more of a normal thought. Maybe not for yourself, but you know that it's happening with a lot of people. So I think that when you get a critical mass, let's say we have a million people over 100 and they have deep research on this and they start identifying research factors. And I think they already have a lot of that, you know, of what constitutes a long life. When things become a normal thought, then it becomes widespread in practice. Let me give folks who are listening
1: a little bit of understanding of one of the reasons that we age, and it's interesting, and what we're learning. So, Dan, you know, I focus a lot on longevity or age reversal in my work, and we're going on our Mm -hmm. longevity adventure trip in August.
0: I wanted to do this for a number of years, the schedule. So every year,
1: I take a subset of the abundance community, and we go and we visit the top labs the top research scientists, the top academic institutions, and say, what's the cutting edge of, of longevity? You know, where is it? What do people think? And last year, we were in San Diego and San Francisco, and it was amazing. Everybody who was there signed up and came back. This year, we're going to be in Boston, Cambridge, New Hampshire, New York, New Jersey, and it's going to be epic, really epic. One of the places we're going to visit is Dean Kamen's facilities in New Hampshire, as we're going between Cambridge and New York. And he's got a facility called Army A-R-M-I, which stands for something I've forgotten. But he's building with this collaborative group a machine that you put your cells in one end, they're created into pluripotent stem cells, and then over the course of like 10 days, it takes those cells, it expands it, they differentiate it, and then they manufacture an organ out the other end. It's insane. It's We're heading towards a world in which we're going to have spare organs available. If you need a new heart, lungs, kidney, liver, I mean,
0: that's amazing. So when you go for a heart transplant, first of all, you create the replacement heart yeah. out of your own cells. yeah, And then when you check in the hospital, they're using a complete duplicate of your heart. Of your replace. heart, just,
1: you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years younger. And then so many different approaches. But We're going to be visiting with David Sinclair and George Church at Harvard Medical School, two of the top thought leaders. And so the question is, you know, Dan, your genes are the identical genes of Dan Sullivan 76 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, in your first year of life. So why do we age? And if your genes are the same, there's a slight change from mutation from radiation or smoke or whatever the case might be, but they're effectively the same you have to realize that what's different is which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. Yeah. So it's the regulation, what's called the epigenome, the regulation of the genome of our 22,000 plus genes that are... And so the question has become, can we reverse it? Not slow it, not stop it, but can we turn it back? Can we go back to what it was like in your 20s where the right genes were on and the right genes were off? And that's the work that is being pioneered right now and being demonstrated in animals. Mm-hmm. Our longevity prize yeah. that have about 50 million of the 100 million lined up, will ask teams to do this and demonstrate it in multiple organ systems in the body. Anyway, to the point, we're doing this trip in August. August 11th
0: to 15th.
1: And then in September, we have like one seat. It's a small group of mm-hmm. 30 people per trip. Yeah. If you're interested, you can email claire, C-L-A-I, I-R-E at diamandis.com. Claire runs the trip. She's amazing. Yeah. You get like five seats in August and one seat in September. Anyway, it's going to be amazing.
0: And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it to our audience here. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, there's one question I have, and that's the human habit of thinking that they have to die at a certain point. That's interesting. But if you think about it, you know, the human race, I've been looking at that they figure there's been about 100 billion humans, and they keep pushing it back further and further when they say this is a sign that these people were human. But at a short estimate, it's been 200,000 years, and it's been about 100 billion humans. If you take collectively the entire population, you know, there's fairy tales about countries where people live to 500 years. But... You know, the bone specimens they find, you know, they died at 14 or they died at 20 or they died at 25. You know, if you were lucky, you would get five good generations per century. So there was this expectation right from the beginning that you had to get a lot of things done when you're young and early because at a certain point you were worn out and you were a burden on the community. You were using up a lot of food. You were using up food that was really necessary for the survival of young people. Yeah, I think this idea
1: that we have to die comes from a few things. One, religious institutions have built an entire business model around that. I mean, not to say anything negative about religious institutions, but it's the business model, right? You're here on the earth, and then when you pass away. The other is government institutions have built their business model on that. Yeah. And then as kids, we see people grow old and die. We see our grandparents, our great-grandparents. And so mm-hmm. we don't see evidence of anybody doing anything other than that. So yeah. we have overwhelming evidence that this is what happened. So this is what I expect to happen. And part of it is our brains are neural nets. We train them by the evidence we show them. And the evidence in the world today is, yes, you know, when you hit 70s, 80s, 90s, that's it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is that work is a negative. The fact that you're going to have to work is a negative because it's going to be boring work and the work is going to wear you out. Yeah. You know, and therefore retirement is just the grandest. I mean, you talk about religion promising life after death, but there are societies that are saying that heaven comes after you don't have to work anymore. You know, you get to spend years when you don't have to work. And for me, quite frankly, work is. You know the closest relationships. Work is the most valuable part of my life. It's, it's the, the joy. most enjoyable part of my life. It's the purpose. You know, yeah. yeah, it's all purpose. And I think that that has contributed, and it's still there. You know, the vast amount of marketing and advertising that goes in saying, "Well, you really want to stop working as soon as you can," and I think that kills you. I think uh, that when you stop working meaningfully and purposefully and enjoyably. You're wondering why you're hanging around.
1: I had brunch with a very wealthy Californian had just retired from running a company at a $100 billion level. And he was explaining how his life has slowed down a hundredfold and how he has difficulty now actually going shopping for food and going and reading a book in the same day. In other words, his ability to multiplex and do multiple things has just come to a halt. Mm-hmm. So listen, the bottom line for everybody here is you have a choice to make. Yeah. You have an actual choice to make. Do you want to adopt a longevity mindset? In which case to know, not to believe, but to know in your heart of hearts that the technology that is going to extend our lives, add 10 initially, then 20, then 30 healthy years, and then more is coming that we are understanding why the body ages and the tools of Mm -hmm. genome sciences and AI are enabling us to modify Mm -hmm. that. If you know that, then you're going to start to take better care of yourself. You're going to start to think Mm -hmm. and plan for what it's like in your 80s and 90s and post 100. You're going to start planning for it financially. Do you have enough money? You know, Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, these are interesting questions. Yeah. It's very interesting. I calculated, so we went virtual as others have, because of the COVID. And I was looking at our team. So we have a hundred and roughly about one hundred and twenty team members. You know, three countries were spread out over time zones, and I estimate that on average our team members saved three hundred hours by not traveling. Yeah, three hundred hours, and on average saved three thousand dollars. That are just travel related costs, parking, gas, and everything else. The big aspect is that the complexity of getting people to go back to the office is going to be much more difficult than taking people from in person to virtual. Virtual happened in two days, but there's people saying, you know, why do we have to go to the office? So we're planning on starting workshops again in October, at least in Chicago. But we're going to have the Zoom alternative is there for everybody. I've been asking asking you for it for years.
1: <laughs> yeah. I wanted to yeah. come in via Beam Robot, but I'll come in via Zoom. Peter,
0: it's not the same. The in-person is where the magic is. <laughs> that was the old answer. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, I've got a lot more to learn going back to in-person than I had to coming from in-person to Zoom. I just love Zoom. I can't get enough of it. But one of the big things is... Another aspect of the future is that people will travel for pleasure, not for necessity. Yeah. And that takes less of a toll on your health. I mean, first of all, you can get killed traveling. You know, I mean, 1.3 million people get killed every year just in car related. I mean, 1.3, they're talking about COVID. And I said, well, 1.3 million people get killed <laughs> driving. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, it's great. My, I think about that a lot. I don't want to go back to traveling. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with Abundance 360. There will be in-person, but there's a global virtual membership as well. It's cheaper for you if you want to do it that way. Yeah. And then I've been expanding A360 to you know five virtual workshops a year. It's been amazing. But my speaking in particular, I used to go and just – Travel around the world speaking, and I'm done with that. Virtual speaking is so much better, so much better. Yeah. So Dan, I took away two topics for our next podcast. One, what you were just talking about, which is there's a revolution in teamwork.
0: Yeah,
1: and that would be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then the second is that I'd love to share my time with Elon Musk and the topics we talked about, everything from playing. Pong with a monkey connected by a neural link connection to Starship to our $100 million X Prize. That could be a, a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. But closing out on this, adding 30 years to your healthy life, it's not an if, it's a when. And I think we have a ability as individuals to control are we going to stick around
0: for that when? Yeah, the thing that I was thinking, it's not a how, it's who, yeah. that basically there are certain people who are going to want to do this and certain people who don't want to do it. And there's going to be a real separation in society between the people who are happily active at 95 and 100 and other people who died at 60. Yep, yeah. amazing. All right, pal. Well, listen, thank
1: you for this conversation. It never gets old talking about longevity. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. See you soon. Thank you, Peter. Take care.